It's time to turn off the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. So, if you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you take a book that was written while high on painkillers, originally titled Cancer, you get the writer of The Empire Strikes Back to direct and co-write the screenplay, and have bloody gaping buttholes while you get the film Dreamcatcher. Hello and welcome... Wow, that cut off a little more abrupt than I thought it did. Uh, Welcome to the Terrible Terror Podcast. Hey, it wouldn't be the Terrible Terror Podcast if we didn't have some terribleness to it, correct? I mean, it is a B-rated review for B-rated movies. So, here we are, episode 2 of Stephen King Month, and... I've already got the probably the doozies of doozy. And like I explained last time, the reason that I did this one is because, honestly, this is a tough movie to get through. And I want to have a little more fun towards the end of the month. And I think we're going to end the month with the perfect movie to have the most fun with. We're going to have a lot of fun next week, and you'll find out what that film is at the end of this podcast. But I think the final film of the month is probably my favorite to kind of dive and dissect and just roll with, you know, and and there's a big reason for it, and we'll talk about that much, much later. But we're here to talk about Dreamcatcher. Now, Dreamcatcher is a weird film. You see, when the book was written uh, by Stephen King, it was when he was kind of going through a couple of different things, and he was high on opioids. That's right, he wrote this book almost completely on Oxycontin, so he doesn't quite remember what exactly he wrote. Uh, And he told that to Rolling Stone back in 2014. Uh, It was also written in cursive, uh, which is a way that helped him recuperate from the car accident he had in 1999. And he originally wanted to call this movie, well, the book, Cancer, but he was kind of convinced by his wife, Tabitha King, to change it to something else. So a lot of it has, at least within the monsters and some of the ideas or representations of those thoughts and ideas, and especially one of the monsters from the film, I believe was kind of a uh, representation of a cancer itself. So you kind of get where he was going in a couple of things, at least maybe a little more in the book 
than in this film, but there's such and and definitely I'll I'm going to talk about it some uh towards the end probably and maybe just kind of spread out. I always say I'm going to wait to the end and then I fucking talk about it anyway. Uh but I'm really trying not to get ahead of myself this time at least with the final thought on this movie. And it's uh you know, it's just a a section of the film. Um and the running time probably is what gets me the most. Uh, which is about two hours and eh, give it like 15 minutes if you want to go through the credits. But it's still a long time and you really kind of feel it in certain sections of the film. Now, it's not to say that this cast is a terrible cast either because you're looking at, uh, you know, Morgan Freeman here who, you know, really isn't in much but he's definitely rated uh, or he's... uh, He's billed in the credits, number one. But you got Thomas Jane, the Punisher himself. Uh, Jason Lee, you may remember him from such things as Alvin and the Chipmunks and Alvin and the Chipmunks uh, Chipwrecked. And uh, no, no, no. Really, you should remember him from the line of Kevin Smith movies, um, as well as My Name is Earl. Because that's where he's done some of the best work that he's ever done. And he's pretty good in here. And then you also have. Um, Damian Lewis is in here and Timothy Oliphant. So you've got some very good... Oh, and even Tom Sizemore as Owen. So like I said, you have some pretty good actors in this film. But for some reason, you also got Donnie Wahlberg, who we'll talk about later. Uh, And you have this story that it's... It can be confusing and I feel like maybe some things... And maybe it's just me... Uh, but some things aren't quite explained within the story of the movie, uh, and you just kind of have to roll with it. And maybe some of that stuff could have been, you know, changed around, or, you know, again, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. And how about we just go ahead and start the movie? So the first thing we do is we get into this, like, psychiatrist office, and we see Thomas Jane, and we're directly introduced to Henry via one of his patients. Carl's Jr. has this $6 burger, which really only costs $3.95, so you think you're getting some deal. But the truth is, it may be the best franchise burger out there. Well, I went there yesterday and ordered three. By golly, those suckers almost filled me up. You know, when I got home, I still had to have a box of Eggos, but that doesn't take away from Carl's achievement. I mean, here's a guy who's got to go through life as Carl Jr., right? Very. Like, he can never get out of the shadow of his dad, the original Carl, I guess. Barry, do you think this compulsive eating has something to do with thinking you killed your mother? That you're eating yourself to death as punishment? You do think you killed her, right? I never said that. She called out to you from that big fancy oak bed. She said she was having chest pain. I never told you any of that. How could you know this? She begged you to dial 911. But she was always calling out for you, wasn't she, Barry? You weren't there. How could you know what happened? How? See, we're already kind of introduced to one of the weird things of the film, is which all of our main characters, they all have some type of ability in them, whether it's a psychic ability, it's a finding ability, or it's the ability to play with toothpicks in their mouth. They, they all are connected to each other through this link as well, and I'm not really spoiling anything. I mean, 
if you're really listening to this podcast by now, you know I spoil every fucking movie, right? So we're going to jump around a little bit in a couple of things. But I'm again, I promise that I am going to save certain thoughts till the end of the podcast. Uh, but really, this is kind of a dickish way for him to go off and kind of honestly convince his patient there to go and kill himself right because he's telling him hey you know what uh your mom uh she was crying for you and your fat ass couldn't do anything but fucking keep eating or whatever the fuck you were doing and so uh you know why don't you just go fucking kill yourself because you blame yourself for killing your mom and that's why you continue to eat so just fucking eat yourself to death which in fact is what he's writing down on the fucking paper like he's going through this stuff and while he's listening to him you can hear those pencil marks in the background and that's him writing notes about what the guy is doing to himself basically or maybe what he's wishing the guy would do who fuck knows uh because the next thing we see is thomas jane putting a pistol to his head or i should say henry since we, we can go by the names of the characters i believe uh and so it's at that point before he's able to pull the trigger that he gets a call from uh one of the other characters in this movie known as jonesy hey how are you doing henry what's that you say i I didn't catch you what are you going deaf now i said how are you doing oh you know ssdd well yeah of course hey uh h you know i was thinking if you were free this weekend we might go see duddits yeah, absolutely. He's been on my mind a lot, too. Okay, so from here, it then shifts over to Jonesy's perspective. So we start first meeting H, which is Thomas Jane. And then we have here uh, Damian Lewis, who's playing Jonesy, as well as somebody else in the film that we'll talk about in a little while. And we are going to talk about the way he plays that character. Uh, <laughs> so we know here that Jonesy based upon what he's doing in the next scene, is a teacher. And he's talking to a kid, and the kid's all kind of, like, disheveled, and I guess he cheated on a test, and he's his professor. They use the word teacher, but it seems like he's, at least from this uh, speech that he gives, it's like a college that the kid is in. Uh, and it could be a, maybe a private school or some shit like that, but they never really truly explain it. And so he basically sees how he's all tattered up and something seems odd to him. So he just lets the kid get away with it and says, you know what you're going to do? You're just going to write a fucking essay for me. And uh, we're going to forget this whole thing happens. And, you know, then the kid turns back and he's like, hey, how did you know that I lived in this part of the neighborhood? I mean, I'm just a poor minority with barely functional shoes and I had to cheat to make sure I passed the test. Come on. Okay, so his ability is also to read fucking minds, alright? So once he's dealt with this kid, we then actually move over to Timothy Oliphant's character, Pete. And you see that he works as a car salesman. So already we know that our first two characters have some type of mind ability or whatever it is. And uh, we're expecting kind of the same thing to come out of Timothy's, or well, I should say Pete's character. Uh, So this young lady, well... She's not really the... I think she's supposed to be kind of like her middle age or whatever. I don't know. She's supposed to be a hot blonde, but she looks like a hot mess because she's lost her car keys. And, of course, uh, Pete kind of freaks her out by doing this little, like, finger thing that he says, Oh, just wait. Uh, This helps me go and uh, see things and helps me think. Uh, But it kind of looks like, you know, he wants to go and he wants to, like, stick that up in her. 
uh, or at least like get her attention. And of course, this freaks her the fuck out. Uh, but he still says, you know, you know what? I'm gonna be a good guy and I'll help you find your keys because she wants to make a copy of her key and it's gonna take way too long. He decides that he's gonna go ahead and help her and goes with her to a store to help retrace her footsteps and then eventually back out to her car. That's where he tries to lay on the moves on her. One more question. If I find your keys, you let me buy you dinner. West War, 6.30. Best fried clams, this part of the state. Right on your way back. Sure. Okay. That'd be nice. All right. So, you got here. You opened your purse. Uh, coffee, candy, and aspirin. You're juggling it all around. And that's when... You dropped your keys. So, to her, she he's kind of like the idiot savant of finding shit. Uh, and honestly, it was just in a little bit of a, a puddle of water, and she didn't think to, like, reach down in there and actually find her keys, because no, she can't lift a fucking finger, because she's gonna go and have the biggest day of her life, and she can't figure out where they would, and they're right there in the fucking water. That's it. Get your hands dirty, pick up your fucking keys, you can definitely see them, unless that water is dirty as shit, but then maybe I can kind of excuse that, but you still should have tried it, right? Not just let this guy go out there, and of course, she ain't gonna fucking show up for dinner, Pete. You know this. You know the way that she's looking at you because you did something fucking weird. So, anyway, let, let's just move on and let's meet Jason Lee's character, Joe, or as he's known as in the movie, Beaver or Beave. Now, we have the different careers of everybody, right? So, we've got uh, H or Henry, and he's a psychologist. Great. Then we got, uh, you know, Jonesy here, and he's a teacher. And then you go over to Pete, and he's a car salesman, right? So what do you all think Beaver is? He's a fucking drunk. That's all I fucking know about him, right? We meet him inside of a fucking bar, and he's got a toothpick in his mouth, and that's basically it. Like, there's nothing else. They, They just completely wasted Jason Lee just in general in this movie and he's supposed to be kind of like the I guess wise cracking friend or whatever but I just I don't get it what what exactly is the point of his character other than to well initially call Jonesy and warn him about something Jones how you doing hey beaver you know same shit, different day. Yeah, same shit, different day. Wanna talk? No, you're trying to get home to Carl and the kids. What's up? Really, I got nothing. Go home. Wait, Jonesy? Yeah, Beef? You be careful. Be careful of what? Wish I knew. Oh, come on, psychic guys. Don't you fucking know something? Can't you tell through the ether or something that it's going to happen? I guess they don't have that type of link with each other. It's just more of like a telepathic type of link. They can read into each other's minds and hear each other's thoughts, but when it comes to actually knowing something's going to happen, they don't know what the fuck is going on. So... We then follow Jonesy going home, and he gets up to this guy, and he looks at him, and he's kind of like, what did you just say? And the guy's like, "Mm, nothing. So then he crosses the street 
to be hit by a fucking car and he gets fucking demolished by this car. He is knocked the fuck out. His head looks like he's been turned around. It's facing the other side of his body. And then we get him being pulled into an ambulance and something weird kind of happens. No good, flatline. Hit it again. Clear! What do you think? I think it's no good. I think he's gone. Ask out for ish Who the fuck is this? Is this fucking stuttering Jesus or some shit? I, I'm in the like. I'm sorry. I'm mocking the character, not in a disability in any way. I want to get that out of the fucking air. But it's it's so ridiculous, to be honest with you. There is a certain quote from a certain movie about how you don't go a certain way. And honestly, two people in this movie go that way, which is him and somebody else. But it's so like, what the fuck did you actually say? You can barely make out what the hell he's saying. It kind of sounds in the beginning like he's saying, watch out. Okay, all right. But what if the... Like, is it Ishtar A? Is it Mr. Say? Like, what what the fuck is he talking about? And from this point, we fade to black, and then we show up at a cabin in the woods. And I can't quite tell at this point if it is in the future, if it's in the past, is it in the guy's mind? Because honestly, Jonesy just fucking died. But, of course, everybody is now together in some weird type of cabin in the woods situation i wonder if scorny weaver is gonna show up i really hope she does that would make this film much 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 better but we get somebody else so we show a like and it does show a dream catcher on the screen before it really goes into it kind of like a loading screen in like a resident evil game when you're changing rooms right they show you the door the door opens up you walk through the door and then all of a sudden you're in the new room well that's the way the dream catcher shows up it's like dream catcher loading 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 loading. okay begin scene and then we begin the scene that's going on uh, and we get to see Pete and uh, good old Beav interacting, talking about. Uh... Got blown last night. Good for you. First time? Bite my bag. Met some lady at Bingo, went back to her place, turned into a pretty nice fuckery. As opposed to a fuckero. Obviously. Yeah. I'll admit, I've had perfectly good fuckeries turn into fuckeros in a flash. Viagra. Viagra? I'm practically at full salute all day. I'm, uh, what do you call it? Uh, privatic? Prismatic? Henry will know. You're remembering yourself in the fourth grade. What, you having wood problems? You haven't tried it, have you? Hell no. You won't believe it. You dropped that little blue bomb your heart as a Louisville slugger for 12 hours. 12 hours? Talking to Yastrzemski. You don't have to need it to love it. Bingo. Did you say bingo like the game in church basements? Well, there's trim there. Oh, okay, honestly, who writes this kind of dialogue to be on a... It makes... I mean, okay, I get it. Maybe it's like that Stephen King thing. We need to establish characters. And here's Jason Lee using all these really weird 
kind of out of place lingo words, uh, you know, fucky, fucko, whatever the fuck is going. Okay, okay, okay. We need to find out exactly who this is written by and who the director is. Okay, so now we're gonna go in here. Uh, let's see. Um, hmm. Let's see. Okay. Uh, so pulled up Dreamcatcher here, and uh, it's directed by Lawrence Castan. Why do I recognize that name? Oh, and it's also produced by him? And, shoot, he co-wrote the screenplay. Okay, let's go ahead and click on his name and figure out what he's done before. Okay, don't recommend the picture on early life, career, Oh, filmography, here we go. The Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Return of the Jedi... What the fuck? Star Wars The Force Awakens? He fucking wrote that too? And he's writing the uh, Han Solo film that's coming out? What, what? What the hell? The Big Chill? He wrote this? He co-wrote this? He directed it? And he produced it? And then he didn't write anything until 2012? What the fuck did this movie do to him? What am I in for, people? Please, please tell me. Because so there are some of the greatest movies and some of the... Well, decentest movies I've seen on this list. I mean, Wyatt Earp. He wrote Wyatt Earp, and he directed it, and he produced it, too. And that's not a terrible movie. But then this, this, what, where did he go? He, he's writing scenes about fucking blowjobs. About going to a bingo center and getting a fucking blowjob. And then Jason Lee is speaking these lines back to me. I'm at a loss. Completely at a loss. Who knew? The guy that came up with Ewoks came up with, rewrote Stephen King's words and his ideas into this. Wow. Anyway, let's go. Uh, uh, let's go outside and let's see what H and Jonesy are up to. H, you've been thinking about Duddis more than usual. Uh huh. Remember we were gonna go see him that weekend. I remember. Then I got hit. I gotta tell you something weird. The night I got hit, I was standing on that sidewalk, and there across the street, I saw Duddits. Just like he was that day we first saw him back in Derry. He was calling out for help, and everyone was ignoring him, just passing him by, and then he looked over at me. He looked directly at me. They motioned for me to come to him. You believe I saw him, don't you? Yes, sir, I do. Duddis loves me, I know that. He loves us all. He would die before it ever hurt us. So, again, this Duddits character, who is the stuttering guy that did the Ishtar Grey thing, uh, he is Jesus? I mean, What? He would never hurt us. He'd die before he hurt us. He'd die for our sins. Let's put Duddits on the mountaintop and scream his name! Who the fuck is Duddits? Uh, all I know is that he's some naked kid in underwear that he saw b- before he crossed that street. Uh, while over here, he, we saw him in the ambulance. Of course, then he had clothes on. I... <sighs> So we go back inside. We'll learn more about Duddits in the future. But we go back inside. 
and we see them all sitting around the table, and they're all making jokes and having a good time, and Pete brings up something about something called the memory warehouse. I'm filing that in the who gives a shit section of my memory warehouse. <laughs> uh, what's the memory warehouse? <laughs> you don't remember the memory warehouse? I must have forgot. You forgot about the memory warehouse? Just remind me, don't give me a lot of shit. It's in his head, B. We've all got one. Hadn't that place been condemned? Not yet. It's just that it's so crowded now I have to throw something out every time I learn something new. Hmm. When I got my new laptop, I had to throw out all my files of rock and roll lyrics. So this is probably one of the more interesting things that the film has to talk about, but it never really goes into it past this and utilizing. It does utilize the idea of the memory warehouse, but it's more of like a plot device than just a full fleshed out idea. And what I mean by that is that they never really go further into depth than what they just talked about right here. We get to see inside which is kind of neat and kind of cool. And we get to see it while he's talking about it here in this scene. And it's got a bunch of like a files and he talks about how the ones that he doesn't need anymore and he burns and you see him actually in the, the memory warehouse go grab some memories off the shelf that he doesn't think he needs anymore, goes to the fires or the furnace and throws them in there and burns them. It's an interesting idea. And he even talks about how he's got a special place that he locks certain memories away. Hint, hint, foreshadowing. Uh, and so it's, it's interesting. And in the outside of the office is SSDD. And I really don't know what that means. And if anybody can say, hit me up, cause I don't think that was the acronym was ever really told within this film. And I've never read the book before. So after we learn about this memory warehouse and they talk a little more, they go over to the living room and they look up. And of course, Jason Lee says the name of the movie. Here's the Duddits, our dream catcher. Wish he was here. To the Duds. To Douglas Cavell. To Duddits. So you heard Thomas Jane there, Henry, uh, say Douglas Cavell. And we do learn that that's actually what Duddits' name is. Uh, and that's a little later on in the film, but I don't want you to be kind of confused by that because the beginning I was like, what the fuck? Who the fuck is Douglas Cavell? Like, you just randomly said the name. I mean, I could automatically think, hey, yeah, that's probably what his real name is. But at the same time, you're not really told that. And so for him just to randomly say it, it's just kind of weird. So from here, we go into kind of like a stand-by-me type scene. And we see the boys, and they're all being told that there's this picture hanging up, and I guess maybe the old school or in this place, uh, of some woman's pussy, as they put it. Uh, So they're all going, the four of them, to go see it. To where they find some articles of clothing on the ground. And then they find a random lunchbox. Scooby-Doo. I belong to Douglas Cavill. If the boy belonged to his lost, please bring him to 19 Maple Lane, Derry, Maine. Thanks. Must belong to one of those kids from the Retard Academy. You think? Come on. Eat it. Eat it. Eat it, you can go. Hey, you guys! Quit! Just fucking quit it! And that is how they first meet Duddits. See, he's getting his ass handed to him by some bullies who has a giant lump of shit in his hand and he somehow also managed to get a glove. So at least he's being very sterile about holding the shit, but he's trying to feed the shit to Duddits. What? 
why do we need this? Other than, can't he just be picked on like every other kid with mental disabilities? Like, you don't have to do anything else more to him. You don't have to try to shove a giant lump of shit into his mouth. And of course, the boys, because it's the right thing to do, they stick up for poor Duddits before they know who exactly he is. And they all kind of want to, you know, fight for him, kick their asses. But of course, the best thing to do that they believe is to send Pete on his way home to tell everybody, like little fucking snitches. You know what snitches get. You don't do that. But supposedly, Pete is like Sonic the Hedgehog. He's the fastest one alive. Give the word, Henry. Pete can fly. Then you come for us, all we have to do is get in your way. (laughs) I can't catch that little dick. You know who that is? It's Pete Moore. That's right, fat ass. Pete Moore. No one can catch him. And he's going straight to his house to tell his mother what you did. She'll call the cops and then we'll see. You know him, is that it? Never saw him. Then why are you asking for trouble? Is this worth getting the crap beaten out of you for? I mean, look at this moron. He likes this. He's getting attention. How do you know he likes? Come on, you dickweeds. You want to fight us? Yes! Yes! I'm gone, Henry. Just say the word. Why? You'll lose. Why? Because you can't do that. It's wrong. And I want to tell the world. Tell everybody. You want us to leave, is that it? No! Let's shake their asses! Okay, you're kind of stupid there, uh, little beeve. I mean, okay, there's four against the two of them. They're a lot bigger than you. They're definitely like the high school bully kids. And it's supposedly the kid is on, uh, or like the captain of the football team. And you got rocks. Okay, maybe you might win a little bit with the rocks, but I don't know if necessarily you're going to win that fight ultimately if one of you is going to run away to tell everybody and the rest of you are all going to get fucking stitches because you sent the snitch. So, uh, the boys decide, oh, it isn't worth it. He throws the pieces of shit on the ground and they both walk away. Uh, they all go to comfort Duddits and Duddits is totally freaking out. And Beave decides he's going to sing blue Bayou," uh, which he doesn't want them to tell anybody that he can sing. And honestly, he can't really sing. Because he grows up into Jason Lee, who can't really sing. So he sings, and they're like, well, I can't believe that you can sing. No, you can't fucking sing. Uh, So he comforts him, and uh, they get him all dressed. They put on his shoes and all his clothes. Because I did fail to to mention that these bullies, like most hazings, decided the best thing to do is to make him totally fucking naked. Except for, of course, the boxers, because this is a movie and not real life, where they probably would take everything down and, yeah, you know, do hazing things with him. Um, so they get him dressed, and they're gonna get go take him home but they decide no we need to go over and see the photo that we came to see and this leads jonesy to realize something jesus christ bananas no way is that tina jean schlossinger maybe your grandmother good going beef holy god we came all the way here just for that no i came for him are you fucking kidding me really no we came for him. I would say who wrote the ship, but I know who wrote the ship. I know he wrote it with somebody else, too. He co-wrote it with William Golden Goldman, I should say, not Golden. Uh, but really, I, I, 
like that is one of the worst cheesiest stupid fucking lines in this film and i can't honestly believe it so of course they go back they take him back and now we come back into the present uh we have thomas jane and pete uh well pete (laughs) i keep calling him thomas jane but his name is henry henry and pete they go to the store to pick up more supplies to bring back because supposedly more of a cold front is coming in and they're going to get snowed in. Uh, meanwhile, out in the wilderness, Jonesy and Beave, they're out hunting. And while hunting, Jonesy, he runs into a guy named Rick who he decides he needs to care for him. Easy, fella. Easy. You're okay. You're all right now. Thank God. Thank God. Oh, jeez. Thank God. I'm lost. I've been lost in the woods since yesterday. Let's get you inside. Get you warm. How would that be? Sure. To me, Jonesy is kind of creepy here. Like, hey, you need help? Yeah. You want that, that help? I can get you warm. Come inside. Oh, yeah, that'd be fine. Okay. But really, it's just kind of the delivery of the line more than anything else. Uh, So he does bring Rick back into the house. And we cut over back to Pete and uh, Henry. And they're driving along. And Henry explains what happened six months ago. So I guess this is actually six months past the point that Jonesy got hit by the car. And now they're all deciding to meet up at this point. But anyway... H, tell me what was going on six months ago. What's the matter with you? About six months ago, the day Jonesy got hit, I did something terrible with the patient. I humiliated him, drove him out of the office. Barry Neiman, a couple days ago, I saw his picture in the paper. He ate himself to death. Mind if I don't use that story next time I'm trying to sell him last night? Henry. You were a lead balloon long before this porker tried to munch his way to eternity. Thanks, Pete. You're a real comfort. You got a real delicate touch to you, you know? So at this point, they almost run into a tree and a fork in the road, and they continue on down back to uh, the house. should also mention at this point that Pete is having a road soda, and if you don't know what that is, go look it up. We go back into the house, and uh, Beef comes home after... Uh, Rick has kind of settled down and there's something very weird about him. And, and, and when you first meet him, you see that his chest looks abnormally big. Uh, and then that causes some reactions when he first meets Beave at the house. Bitch in a buzzsaw. I've heard some mighty burps in my time, but that's the blue ribbon baby. I am so embarrassed. Rick ate some berries in the woods. Oh no. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's awful. I'm so sorry. Oh, Rick, buddy, don't worry about it. There's more room out than in anyway. So he starts burping and farting like crazy. That's right. We're at that point of the movie. And we're getting more. Again, there's a lot of buildup to what's going to happen. And there's still other things that we haven't even talked about. But we're over like a half hour into the film at this point. And it's really just moves along so goddamn slow to even get to this point to where something, 
anything might happen within it. I know we're trying to establish the relationship between these four characters, but it seemed like that was done just within the Duddit scene, and maybe we didn't need to see the beginning parts of everything. Though, the whole thing with Jonesy getting hit does have some significance to the end of the movie. So I'm not saying that that needs to be cut out, but something probably could have been done differently than what we've seen here so far. So they convince Rick that he needs to go lie down, and it'll probably help him relieve some of his gas issues. Then, once he leaves, of course, uh, Beave and Jonesy start laughing at the situation of what's going on. But Jonesy does say something to Beave, and he kind of thinks of it as it's a little bit odd, and that they need to think about something when he first met Rick to what he looks like now. Hey, want to hear something that'll freak you out more? Not really. You know his huge stomach? When he got here, his stomach was normal, but his chest was out to here. I wish Henry was here. He's a shrink, not an internist. He went to med school. Did you? I thought about it. So, like I mentioned earlier, he had the very, very big stomach, and now it seems to be shrinking quite a bit. Well, I mean chest, and now he's, his stomach is the one that seems a lot bigger. We go back, and what I've noticed so far too, when we go back uh, over to Pete and Henry, uh, and a lot of the driving parts, we get these really high arching shots that show the, the whole uh, area that they're driving in, but like they seem utterly pointless, to be honest with you. They, they don't bring anything like tension or awe or wonder or anything like that all they are these these long tracking shots and they could just go do a wipe and go right into you know the car with h and pete and them talking some more so he tells uh pete i should say tells henry that you know he needs to punch it a little bit because they should be getting back sooner because the snow is really going to start falling really bad And when he comes over one of the little bumps, he notices somebody that's inside the road and basically wrecks the car with both Pete and Henry inside it. Pete thinks that he's broken a leg, but he really is better off than he seems. So it seems like Pete's totally fucked at this point, and they wipe back over to uh, Beave and Jonesy back in the house. Beave is somehow nervous or something. He's like, something weird's going on. So he starts eating peanut butter with his hands. And then they look outside and they see that all of these animals are just running by the house. And of course, it looks very weird. They cut from that back over to Henry and Pete. And Henry is basically pissed off that he's, you know, it looks like there's a woman ahead. And Pete really just wants to strangle this lady because he almost killed the two of them by just sitting in the middle of the road. There is actually a pretty decent jump scare at this point when they can't get her attention. She looks like she's just a popsicle right there. And when they yell at her, she grabs onto Pete's leg, which causes him to jump. And it's actually, like I said, a decent jump scare. We go back over to the house, and they're, you know, the two of them are outside, Beave and Henry. And it's weird that we keep jumping back and forth. I kind of wish they would have just maybe stayed a little longer after the crash with Henry and Pete, and then come back over to the scene where they see everybody outside, or all the animals, I should say, and then go outside and then are approached by the helicopter, which both of them think is the best way to get Rick out of their house. We need some help! Got a sick guy inside! 
This area is under temporary quarantine. You must stay where you are. What do you mean quarantine? We got a sick guy down here. We need your help here. Real sick guy here. Take him with you now. Glad you're okay. This situation no. will be resolved in 24 to 48 hours. Kiss my tender. Kiss my what? That's another one of those fucking beaverisms that are layered throughout this movie, like fuck me Freddy and fuckaroo and fuck a me and fuck a you. It's just like, it's all over the fucking movie. Every time he speaks, he's got something else that either he's trying to make into a catchphrase or he just has like 30,000 catchphrases and he needs the same throughout the film. If there's one that I would say which would be his catchphrase, it's fuck me Freddy because he says it at least twice as an adult and once as a kid. So he's been saying it for that long, so that must be the catchphrase. They go back into the house and they notice that there's droplets of blood leading from the bathroom all the way to the bedroom. And when they look in the bedroom where Rick was, they notice there's a giant pool of blood where his ass would be uh, on there. So they go over to the bathroom and they try to break in there to see how he's doing. Rick, you okay? I'm a little sick, fellas. I just need to make a little room. McCarthy, Rick, open up, man. Go away. Open the door. We have to break it down. Can the man have some privacy? Rick, where are you bleeding from, buddy? Bleeding? I'm not bleeding. So he doesn't believe anything is going wrong, and they decide that they're going to break down the door to go in there and see what's going on. There is one thing that I haven't really talked about yet that they do quite a bit in this film, which is uh, mention Scooby-Doo and Mighty Mouse. I, the Scooby-Doo, we kind of already know from the beginning because when they fought in the lunchbox, that belonged to Duddits. But there's a couple of things where they use the Mighty Mouse is on his way type thing that uh, it's kind of oddly placed. It makes sense maybe when they're kids, but they even use it when they're older. But here, Beave does quote Scooby-Doo before they decide to n- knock down the door which turns out to be uh, the gross thing that... One of the grossest things in this film. Uh, So they knock down the door and they see that Rick is sitting on the toilet, but they wonder if he's dead. But of course, uh, B believes that it's... that Rick is alive. Rick? Rick, Rick? Oh, man! Jonesy, if he can still do that, he must be alive. I mean, come on! Rick, can you hear me? I think he's dead. Bullshit he is! He just dropped a clinker, I heard it! I don't think that was a clinker. Alright, that's enough, fellas. Snap out of it! Oh, oh my god! Oh. No! No? No! Couldn't move me. Whatever it is, it's trapped. Got nowhere to go but the separate tank. So, what you get to see in this scene is uh, Rick, and he has this, he had this crap on his face. And it was very small in the beginning, but it seems that it's taken over most of his face and it's all over the fucking bathroom. And it's this red stuff that we'll find out a little bit about in just a couple of moments. Uh, But he is there, right? And he's sitting on the toilet. And then when you hear kind of the music in that clip, he actually knocks over and goes right into the bathtub. When he goes in the bathtub, you get to see the big gaping asshole where something has fucking come out. And it's absolutely disgusting. Now, I know what you're saying. And you're saying, Terrible Terror, you talked about this scene in this other movie before, right? And maybe you related it back to this back at that time. 
And I'll say to you, yeah, I talked about this scene in a movie called Poultry Guys uh, that was done by Troma. And there was a bathroom scene in there that was disgusting of a guy basically shitting himself to death. Here, this, I think, to me, is worse. And let me tell you why. There, There's comedic effect to it. It's over the top. Yes, it's disgusting. Yes, there's shit all over the walls. Yes, you have to deal with all this other crap. But it's... It's still kind of funny, you know, in a weird, morbid kind of way. Where here, this is meant to look as realistic as fucking possible. So I have to look at, it's not so bad the blood on the walls, but the fact that there's a Jake fucking big gaping hole in this guy's ass that you might as well just put fucking Goatsy on the fucking screen. And that's what I can look at instead. That would be a little less disturbing than what is going on here. Right, I know this is fake, but it's absolutely disgusting because they're trying to make it look as real as possible, and they did a pretty decent job, to be honest with you. So after this abomination that you get to see, uh, there's something that's in the toilet. They slam the lid down, and Beef he goes and he sits on it, and they think that they've stopped whatever's in there because, of course, it's only got one way to go, which is down into, as they say, the septic tank because of where this place is. Right, it's cabin in the woods you're not going to have a normal sewage system that you would have in most places now while beave is sitting on the toilet uh he's trying to get a toothpick out and you know because that's one of his nervous tics i guess i don't know which one it is is it the toothpick is it eating peanut butter like they said before or is it something else is it all the weird fucking catchphrase fuckity words that he says i don't know but this seemed to be the one that they want to focus on right now because the seat itself, it punches up and he spills his toothpicks everywhere. And it does it in slow motion. Again, foreshadowing. Uh, and so when the slow motion is done, Jonesy has a plan that he wants to do with Beeb to make sure that they can both get out of this bathroom in one piece. Listen, Beaver, we're going to change places. What? One of us has got to go out to the shed. One of us? No way. Shut up and listen. There's friction tape out there, isn't there? You're going to go out, get it, come back here. We're going to tape the lid down, then we're going to get the hell out of here. You get the tape, Jonesy. Don't be brave, Beaver. You're faster than me. You get the tape, I'll sit on somewhere. No, because if it does somehow get out, you can't fight it, not with your hip. Oh, my God. God damn it, Go. And now we get to the dumbest way to die in the entire movie. There's something that happens with Pete later on that includes what we're going to call from now on the shit weasel. And the shit weasel uh, is explained to us a little later on uh, by another character. But before he explains what it is, I'm going to tell you that it's the thing that's in the fucking toilet. And why this is fucking stupid to me, and it makes no sense, is that... I understand if you have a tick or something that you got to do when you're nervous or you got OCD, but if you're fearing for your life and you're worried that something that's underneath you in the toilet that might be able to get out is going to come and kill you, would you try to reach for your tick? No, right? Like, I, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm just, you know, poor old country boy over here and I've got my own ideas about what's going on. 
but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go after a toothpick on the fucking floor to let some type of shit weasel out of the toilet to come and fucking kill my ass. Like, honestly, it's just stupid. Like, he doesn't have to die. And you have this whole scene because he's sitting there and he's sitting on the top of the toilet. Of course, the two lids are down. Uh, and he's lucky that there's a second lid and it's not just one of those toilets where you only got the open lid and nothing else. Uh, and we keep seeing Jonesy and he's trying to find tape. He's trying to find tape. And then we cut back over to Beeve here. And he's looking. He's like, oh, maybe I can grab one. And he can't grab the ones close to him because they're all been tainted by whatever that red blood stuff is that's all over the place and all over the floor. And so instead... He almost gets it, and then what fucking happens? Can you guess? Can you guess what's going to happen at this point, everyone? Why, if you guess that the shit weasel's going to come out and fucking kill Beeve, you're fucking correct. Like, honestly, how stupid is this? He basically lets it go out, and he has, like, a fight with it. And then Jonesy shows up at the last minute when he sees the fucking shit weasel actually latch on to... Uh, poor jo- or Beave's face uh, and ultimately kill him. So Beave goes out like a fucking bitch, man. And it sucks because I kind of like Jason Lee's character. And for him to be the first to die, maybe he's glad that he actually got out of the movie as fast as he did. Uh, we then have Jonesy and he's trying to protect himself by holding the door closed while the weasel is coming after him. And instead of running... Like Beav was saying, because Beav was holding on to him. He's like, just get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. And of course, he watches him die instead. And then uh, he's approached by some giant gray monster alien thing that poofs into powder. And we fade over to the next scene. And now we're getting over into the other part of the movie. We're officially about an hour into the movie at this point. And now we're being introduced into... This military operation that's in this area that they call the Blue Area, which is where the cabin happens to be. And we're introduced to uh, Morgan Freeman's character, Colonel Abram Curtis, uh, where he talks about what the people uh, there, they call the Red Stuff. The men call the Red Stuff Ripley after the broad and the alien movies. We're eradicating the animals as they flee the Blue Zone. And the populace? We're bringing the civilians here to Goslands. We'll detain them until we can figure this out. And Owen, this time the ETs belong to you. That's right, Bucko. You'll be Blue Boy leader. Finally. How many left? About a hundred. Yeah. Not nearly enough for a serious incursion. My guess is it's a crash landing. They never picked terrain like this before. Or cold weather. What's your call? The biggest threat is them getting out of our net crash landing or not i guarantee they're gonna try to get out and spread the infection so he's in charge of well at least at the time he's in charge of the blue unit right and then you have tom sizemore here as owen and he's now the one that's kind of going to take over it and they begin to talk and they talk about this other like general matheson this guy right and who's has ideas of what's going on with this infection. And then honestly, it's probably not as bad as Colonel Abraham thinks that it is. And what is the vaunted opinion of those enlightened cocksuckers who've never been within three states of an ET? They say the fungus doesn't take hold in all the victims. Some of them just get over it. Really? 
And what about the shit weasels? The ones blasting out the basement door. Does Matheson think that folks get over one of those puppies? The theory they're working on is the creatures will only grow in a small percentage of the exposed population. Of course Colonel Abraham thinks this is bullshit. And it's weird to actually see Morgan Freeman in this type of role. And I do give him credit for the way that he plays it. Because he plays it pretty straight-faced. Yet you still see that like he's got an ounce of humanity in him. But not totally. Because as we've been kind of told, or as we get told, he's been dealing with this for a really long time. So for him to have this idea that he can just turn this over... Or he can do, you know, just give in to the aliens uh, is not really his kind of deal. And yes, I said aliens, because that's now where this movie's fucking going. Like, you have this hour setup. Really, it's like an hour-long setup to get you to the point that there are aliens here. And there's government coming after the aliens. What does this have to do with a fucking dream catcher? I don't fucking know. But hey, let's learn more about the blue unit and why we have these type of fucking wacky scenes in the movie. Maples, do you know the blue unit catechism? Yes, boss, the BUC for all buckos. Is blue unit part of regular army? No, boss, better boss. How does blue unit operate? Under the radar. We do not salute, we do not display rank, we do not say sir. We are a force unto ourselves. Regular army compared to blue unit. Pussies, boss. Under what rules does blue unit operate? Rules of combat. That's right, laddie. When a soldier disobeys a superior's orders, he puts everyone at risk and is to be punished immediately by appropriate command personnel. That's me, capiche? Good. You answer me one simple question and you can buggy out of here. But you have to answer honestly. You were on containment detail at 0600 this morning, Sector 14, Blue Zone. Did you? Or did you not allow a young woman and her four-year-old daughter to exit the zone in their own vehicle on Hickam Valley Road? Colonel Curtis, she hadn't been in the zone. She made a wrong turn a few miles back. She couldn't have been contaminated. You know this for a fact or because she told you so? For a fact, boss. Scout's on her. Can you raise your hand and tell me honestly that you know this for a fact? Then do it, Maples. Swear on it. Scout's on it. So he does swear on it, and fucking Morgan Freeman, or Colonel Abram, shoots his fucking hand. Like, I... Okay, is that supposed to show that he has some type of, like, authoritarian, you know, or dictatorish unit where you don't go by what I say and you make sure you capture everybody that's within this quarantine unit because the biggest thing of course that he worries about is that there's going to be some type of outlier that's going to be or what they later call a hitchhiker uh, that's going to try to spread this disease further out and blah 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 yada yada whatever the fuck is going on so from here we go back over and we see Pete has went back to the car to go get the beer that Henry told him Hey, don't go out and get the beer. Be- make sure that you stay with this woman and you watch her. And when he comes back, he decided to have a l- nice little type of monologue with the woman, who we just recently saw is dead because we got to see her gaping asshole and see that the shit weasel, as so-called by Colonel Abraham, is now in the, the snow around Pete. <laughs> but seriously, folks... There is one issue I'd like to bring up, just in case I should, you know, kick the bucket out here, turn into a goddamn 
pizza call. Not that I think that's inevitable. I'm sure Henry or Jonesy or Beaver will be coming to get us soon. They're my friends. We're all best friends. Now, ma'am, let me be very candid with you about this. So please, don't get freaked out or think that I'm some kind of weirdo who you shouldn't meet for the best fried clams in Maine. Just some innocent fried clams at the West Wharf. You see the four of us, his best friends, we all have this other friend by the name of Duddis. And our friend Duddis, well, he's not your average old buddy. One day, a long time ago, he gave us all this kind of gift. It's this, how should I put it? This ability. This ability to know things, to talk to each other without talking at all, just mind to mind. Do you see what I'm getting at? I knew you would. Lately, I've been having this dream. And in the dream, I understand how Duddits could give us a gift like that. I think maybe our friend Duds is not from this planet. I think Duds is from somewhere else. And he came here to prepare us for something. Crazy, huh? Okay, so very convenient that at this point you think that Duddits is a fucking alien and not of this world or he's special because he gave you fucking special powers. Okay, the other thing I forgot to mention before we saw this is we got a very weird scene of Jonesy leaving in a snowmobile and then all of a sudden his face went from like being serious to having this goofy fucking smile. And you can actually find that out there. Um, there's plenty of images and gifs and stuff if you haven't seen this film. Uh, and it's so ridiculous. And then he goes into this and then we go into Pete talking about th- that Duddits could be a fucking alien then what does he do of course well one he calls duddits he's like so upset that he would talk trash about his perfect friend duddits what why he was talking trash because he's saying he's not of this world like is that very negative like you're just having some weird type of conspiracy theory thought because you're fucking drunk as a motherfucker partially because somebody shot you down and wouldn't have fucking fried clams with you like, you have to be that big of a fucking pussy to be like, oh, well, she didn't go out with me, and I'm just a normal person, so I'm gonna drink myself in this weekend, and then I'm gonna think that my good friend is an alien. <sighs> like, seriously, come on. Do you have to, like, do that again? I understand that part of it was, you know, written by Stephen King and the way the characters was, but you don't have to turn him into this much of an idiot in this fucking screenplay is, uh, has him as. And of course, what is it? He also decided to do, but Pete duddits his name into the snow and he does a really good job of it too. I mean, it's perfect fucking cursive. Like imagine that somebody on set had to go out there and say, I I'm gonna take this yellow liquid and I have to write in snow duddits right and make it look really good and really professional uh like somebody wrote it by hand but instead of by hand he's fucking pissing it 
Like, I don't think anybody could write it as well as he wrote it there in the fucking snow. And we've also seen that the shit weasel, uh, mind you, is traveling through the snow at the same time. So what's your initial thought? Because I know what mine is. I don't want to see his dick get bitten off. Because those things have big, massive fucking teeth. And what does it do? It jumps right at his fucking dick. And then there's a fight scene between Pete and the shit weasel. And ultimately, Pete wins the battle. But not before getting bitten pretty hard and around the junk and around the neck and a couple of different places. From this epic battle, then we cut back over to Henry, who's walking back to the cabin, who happens to hear the snowmobile in the distance and thinks, great, Jonesy is coming, but realizes something's a little different. Let me get this straight. Yesterday, I want to call it quits. Throw in a towel, pull the bucket, curtains. Today, you're begging, praying, a couple more hours, a couple more miles. Make up your mind. Jonesy. Way to go, motherfucker! Here you come to save the day! Mighty Mouse is on the way! What the hell? Who's Mr. Gray? What are you trying to tell me, Jonesy? You're not Jonesy. So he manages to jump out of the way and perfectly hide himself in the snow. Not even like, you know... You, because he, he rises out from the snow, and if you were to jump and dive, there'd be a fucking hole right there, right? Right? You would see something, but no, he's perfectly covered in the snow, and when he comes out, the snow falls out like he's been underneath it the entire time. And of course, from here, uh, we get to see the other character that's played by Damian Lewis. Yes, he plays Jonesy, but he also plays Mr. Gray. What was that, Mr. Jones? What did we just pass on the road there? Are you speaking to me? Yes, I am, Mr. Jones. Or is it Jonesy? That's what your friends call you, isn't it? Let's be friends. Why are you letting me live? I'm borrowing you. We're going to take a little journey. Beaver never hurt a soul, and you killed him. Your friend had nothing in his head. I've already found something useful in yours. Fuck you. I know what that expression means. I've studied the foul language section of your memory warehouse. Rather distasteful, I must say. How about this, Mr. Gray? Eat shit and die. Why'd you call me Mr. Gray? I felt for Ishgar Gray. Someone told you about me? Who told you about me? Well, if you want to know, why don't you just read my mind? Well, surprisingly, you're able to keep a few things from me. I don't understand it, but I'm sure I'll figure it out soon. Okay, why does he suddenly gain a British fucking accent and he's so goddamn hammy? Like, he plays Jonesy so straight. And maybe, you know, our director here, you know, Lawrence, uh, he said, you know what? We want this to be the exact opposite of what your Jonesy character is like. We want you to get some type of freedom to how you want to do this. And lo and behold, here he is. He's a fucking British, limey, cheeky bastard. Uh, what? What the fuck is this shit? Like, how? 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 Why? Why would you choose to do that? Unless he was given direction to fucking do that too at the same time. I don't fucking know. Uh, but surprisingly, 
it's one of the better things about the movie. It 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 allows him to have fun. He looks like he's having fun doing the role when all this other fucking shit and this horrible dialogue and shit weasels and and fucking Morgan Freeman being in this fucking movie. It's actually one of the better parts of the film, but I still don't fucking get it. I don't know why he did it. <sighs> Eventually, he rolls up on Pete. And they begin to have a discussion because it's Mr. Gray first talking with Pete, but he's able to disguise his voice as Jonesy. But of course, Pete doesn't figure out something's up when Mr. Uh, Gray doesn't necessarily want to leave the area. He wants to go somewhere else. If we didn't want to go to Gosling, how would you get us out to 95? 95, who gives a shit? I'm hurting here, Jonesy. What's wrong with you? You're not... Oh, shut up, Pete. You're too messed up to know what you're saying. Too late for that. Pete, I need you to get onto the snowmobile right now. Who the fuck are you? You sound like one of those James Bonds. This is something to do with a fucking eel, isn't it? This, of course, pisses off Mr. Gray because he can't quite get his way right away and Pete won't show him where he needs to go using his little finger trick. Uh, that causes Mr. Gray to, like, change a little bit and start actually choking Pete. And, uh, inside of his hidden room in the memory warehouse, Jonesy, he's there looking on and eventually convinces Pete that he needs to do what he needs to do. Uh, we go inside of his mind and Mr. Gray shows up and just wonders why. Why won't you let me in? over out there, buddy. Let me in. What have you got in that part of your mind, Professor? Your memories are out here in the warehouse, aren't they? I want to know who warned you about me and who taught Pete that nifty trick. I'm sure the answers are out here. It'll just take me a while to find them. Think about letting me in. It's the polite thing to do. So we go back over to Henry and Henry's at the house. So finally, we might be able to get some type of Punisher stuff done with here. Yeah, let's get Henry and make him the big fucking action star of this movie. But no, he just goes into the house and he looks around and he finds a dead beeve. And he doesn't seem very upset by the fact that his friend is dead. Completely covered in red stuff. But what he does discover is there are a ton of fucking eggs in this room of all the, the shit weasel. He manages to kill the shit weasel that's there. And he decides that he's going to pour uh, well lighter fluid over everything and set it all on fire. Which eventually does, and he gets out of there. Uh, but it only really took uh, only a couple shots, actually, to kill the shit weasel. Which isn't too bad. Uh, I mean, if he was truly the Punisher, it would have just taken one, right? And maybe he would have fought him inside of a hotel and uh, been thrown through a bunch of walls. And the shit weasel would have been much bigger than was maybe like a big like Russian guy or something like that. Uh, so burns everything to hell, burns the whole house down to hell. Uh, and it's just a stomp and good time when he gets to stomp on the little baby shit weasels that are born from the eggs. Fading out from the dream catcher that now is covered in red shit and fire, we get a flashback to when they all gave him the pieces of the dream catcher. We all made them in art, Duddy. I finished first, so I made one for you, Duds. Mine's deformed. I couldn't figure out the string. Eva, Annie, Onzi, eat. That's right, my man. I done it. <laughs> yep, I done it. I done it. 
I did it! So again, they kind of are touching again on the Dreamcatcher type of thing. It's really more... It has nothing to do in terms of aliens and shit weasels and where the fuck is going on, but more about the connection that they all have together. Because since they all created a piece of the Dreamcatcher and they all came together centered on Duddits, it's kind of the same thing. Like, it created and completed their group of friends uh, and even though he was a little, say, mentally challenged, he still was a big part of their life and was the one responsible for giving them their powers. So from this point, we go over to, again, we get to meet the colonel uh, and his crew as they're flying in to, well, I guess carpet bomb where the aliens are. And we get this odd kind of scene with uh well these voices please don't hurt us we're dying there's, there's no, no infection here whose radio is that it's not the radio boss they're putting it directly into our heads we are helpless there it is gentlemen there's no infection here directly into our heads please don't hurt us this gives you an idea what we're up against there's no infection now if anybody's thinking why those poor helpless little folk all naked and unarmed beside their crashed intergalactic Wayne Amigo. What kind of a dog, what kind of a monster could hear that heartbreak and go in just the same? Well, I'm that dog. I'm that monster. You're dying. These mothers are as harmless as a fox in a hen house, and I'm here to kick some ass. Are you with me? Yes, boss. Roger that, boss. Right on, boss. So they go and they start killing all the aliens that are basically asking for mercy. Uh, and eventually they run back into the ship to where they use their telepathic powers to blow up the fucking ship and kill every other alien that was there. So I guess it's job well done, right? Because he's killed everybody that he sent out to kill, except for the one hitchhiker that's out there trying to expose everybody else out to the world. So I guess that whole retirement thing that he talked about a little earlier in the film is basically going to be on schedule, and he's not going to have to worry about having to give up his gun to his second-in-command, Owen. Of course, this also causes the death of a bunch of people that were on the run, and the only two people that were able to escape were Owen and uh, Colonel Abraham, but hey, who gives a fuck, right? From here, we go back over to Pete and uh, Mr. Gray on the snowmobile, as well as Jonesy. I guess he is involved in the scene. And Pete realizes that maybe the reason he was given those powers, or maybe they were talked to a long time ago, it might have been a warning from someone. Jonesy, I've been thinking about our friend, our Scooby-Doo buddy. For a long time, I was thinking maybe he was sent to us to warn us about something. But I could never figure what it was. Don't talk about him, Pete. Not till today. It was this, right now. He wanted to warn us. Go ahead, Pete. Tell me about your friend. Is he the one that showed you that nifty trick? No, Jones is right. Come on, Pete, let's talk. Bite my bag, motherfucker. And of course, this is when he does his transformation of putting his hood over his head and it making him into, like, a giant shit weasel that kills Pete. And honestly, if I kind of feel bad for Pete because he was only in this movie to basically to get beat up. Both him and Beave, right? Beave got the crap kicked out of him by one shit weasel. He was able to fend off another, but then he ends up getting eaten in half by the big shit weasel that we know as Mr. Gray. 
Mr. Gray then continues on and gets to the highway, and uh, he tries to stop down a truck, and I really thought he was going to get hit for the second time, but he's actually able to get the truck to stop, and it's being driven by one of the military guys, uh, and he manages to get the military guy of the truck, kills him, and then feeds uh, some of the infected meat uh, animals that he's got in the back to the dog. We also go inside the memory warehouse where Jonesy is frantically trying to move memories around into the locked room because he doesn't want Mr. Gray to know that he knows about Duddits or who Duddits is because he's the one that gave him the powers and it seems like that's who Mr. Gray might be afraid of. Every time he kind of comes into question, uh, especially since he's the one that's given him the powers, he is really, you know, kind of freaky and and frightened of what that might bring uh from this point we also uh go back over and we see thomas jane and he's on some skis uh he ends up falling over because he pizzas or i should say french fried when he should have pizzaed and then he gets captured by the other military that are out there there's a really weird wipe that they do from the point that they capture uh henry and bring him to the camp we actually get a first person view of owen uh, and he's following Colonel Abraham through the uh, the tent where all the infected humans are that are from the area. He's going through, and you get a first person's perspective of all of these guys coming up to him and basically saying, "When are we going to get released? When is everything going to happen?" And uh, you know, Colonel Abraham, he's just like, "It's going to be just a couple more days, and you guys are going to be let go." And eventually, when he comes out, uh, you know, they see. Henry for the first time. Henry's able to kind of read their minds a little bit and understand what makes them tick. And it actually kind of freaks out Colonel Abraham for at least one second. It's also weird, too, because Owen, when he asks who Henry is, he says, oh, I'm a doctor. When he's like, oh, we need doctors in there. But it's like, aren't you just a psychiatrist? And couldn't you just said, well, I'm not that type of doctor. But that's probably just a little nitpicking right there. We follow Owen and the colonel back into the tent where the colonel lays down his idea of what exactly has got to happen to everybody that's been infected. We've got to cauterize the site. They've all got to die. It's the only way. But we don't know that. The studies point to the strong possibility of recovery for many of the exposed subjects. The studies show squat. That's what they show. If three-star General Matheson had been in my spot for the last quarter century, you'd have never made it to your first jerk-off. Those great bastards and their weasels would have had you for lunch back in armpit Kentucky. Babe, some of them get better. Half of them, at least, will be over in a few days. Which ones, Mother Teresa? Can you guarantee that they won't take it home with them like a present for the family? I'll tell you what you should be worried about. What should be on your mind. Not these few unfortunates. What you should be worried about is a hitchhiker. What? A hitchhiker. That's been our greatest fear. That one of these great boys would catch a ride with somebody and would carry them out of here without being consumed. Somebody to scatter the infection, like Johnny fucking Appleseed. Are you sure there isn't such a person? No, but I am sure that if there is one, he's not getting out of here. Not with the net my boys are throwing up around the blue zone. And if we do a thorough job on the ones we've got, if we don't get all gooey about the little picture, when our job is taking care of the big one. Capisce? So, of course, he doesn't know that Mr. Gray is there, uh, out there, trying to do something that we're not exactly sure. All we know is he's got a tainted dog who's eating a tainted meat, 
and he's probably got a shit weasel that's growing inside of him that he's going to do something with at some point sometime. Especially now that all the other aliens have been killed off due to the fact that uh, Henry burned down the house where there was all the eggs there and uh, all the aliens committed seppuku when they blew up their own spaceship to not get bombarded by the you know Morgan Freeman's team or Colonel uh, Abraham as I should say. So Owen leaves and he sees that Henry is out there and it still doesn't quite freak him out the fact that Henry's still hanging out outside and he ends up talking to him. Uh, and Henry brings up stuff that nobody should know, in fact, the names of his kids, uh, and basically plays Owen like a fiddle to allow him to go after his friend, because he knows that there is an outlier, and he has to convince Owen that, hey, you gotta listen to me, I know these things and I can help you. So, they come up with a plan, and they basically devise a way to get Henry out of there, and also trick, um... Colonel Abrams into falling into a trap so that way they can get away and the colonel can come in or I should say the general General Matheson can come in and he can uh, take over the operation before this is done though uh, Colonel Abrams does give his gun to Owen and uh, that's going to be very vital for something that happens towards the end of the film so Colonel Abrams gets tricked and goes into a store that he's thinks that he's supposed to be meeting up with Henry because he's just going to go out there and kill him. And it turns out that it's somebody else that actually owned the store that we saw in the beginning of the film. Meanwhile, uh, Owen and Henry, they're driving away and he wants to see the gun that was given to him uh, by Abraham, who actually was given to Colonel Abraham by supposedly John Wayne. Uh, And he's searching for Jonesy. Henry's searching, searching, says... Come on, Jonesy, come on. Just pick up the phone. To which a phone appears inside of Jonesy's locked memory warehouse room. And he calls... uh, He calls Henry on the goddamn gun. Hello? Jonesy! Jesus Christ, I knew it was you. Where's he taking you? Massachusetts. He is. Got it. Okay, Jonesy, I will. You hang in there, Jonesy. Jonesy! Give me back my gun. He literally does hold the gun up to his ear and his fucking mouth like he's holding a phone. I mean, at this point, I kind of wish that he just blew his head off and then that was the end of the movie. Because I'm getting really tired of some of the bullshit that's going on here. So, as they discuss, they need to go and get Duddits. And he explains to... Uh, Henry explains to Owen exactly what had happened to Jonesy, which might make him different from the rest of them. We have to go to Derry. Is that where they're going? No, they're going toward Massachusetts. We need Duddits. Jonesy says, Mr. Gray, he's afraid of Duddits. He's alive, your buddy. He's still alive after all this time with Mr. Gray. He's immune. I think it's because he died. He got hit by a car and his heart stopped twice i don't think he even knows it he came back from dead it must have changed him somehow it's almost like Dunn saw this whole thing coming is that it told he told me it was Dunn's. drew him into the accident if we catch him we're gonna have to kill him you know we have to do it don't you killing him's the only way to stop mr bray assuming we can catch him 
So they go to the home of Duddits, who at this point, I even have the note written down that I thought he was dead. Like the way that they talked about him, I know he wasn't doing too well, supposedly, but it really felt like maybe he was dying on his deathbed or possibly already dead. And I don't know what to say about this. And I'm going to say something that probably everyone was thinking in the beginning, but honestly, it's the only thing to say right now because we get to meet adult Duddits. Who happens to fucking be Donnie Wahlberg? Yes, Donnie Wahlberg plays Duddits as an older, uh, as an adult, right? In his 40s or whatever. But honestly, he went full retard, okay? It looks horrible. You don't even really recognize that it's Donnie Wahlberg, but it almost looks like Donnie Wahlberg in the fucking sixth sense. But instead of being this, like, really gaunt guy killer guy he oh my god like it looks so bad it's terrible the makeup i mean the makeup's not bad for making him transforming into this but honestly he totally plays him so overtly handicapped like it's i just you really need to look it up is what you need to do because i can't do it justice other than the one clip that is going to happen later but when he talks, when he says anything, it's really cringeworthy and horrible. Like, I can't really stand it. And it's hard to watch it without, like, real, like really thinking, like, you went way too far. And as a director, why would you think that this would be okay when it's not? So, he explains to the mom of Duddits that he's got to take him away. And you know what? She's totally cool with it, and here's her reason why. I'm going to let you take him, but I have to tell you why. Just now, when he was getting ready, <laughs> Henry was so excited, like he hasn't been in such a long time. I think that if he's with you, he might die happy instead of in this awful room. Be sure the parka stays on tight. Cold devastates him. The medication and instructions are in here. So she's okay with him going because he might die happy. What? Like, is he really on his deathbed right now? Like, can he not really go? Should he not really be going? So that way, maybe he can survive a little longer. But she's like, cool, go ahead, take him, because he's going to die anyway. At least if he's going to die, he's going to be fucking with you guys. And that's happier than him dying with his fucking family. And it's better for me than it is for them. So he goes along with them. She gives him a tearful goodbye and puts all the medicine inside his Scooby-Doo lunchbox because... Because, hey, how are we really going to tie it back to other parts of the movie? Especially one that I forgot to talk about. And I'm going to talk about it right now before we start getting into the final uh, pieces of the film. Now, before that whole Morgan Freeman and crew go in and destroy the alien thing, we got to actually see how he gave them the powers. And this ties back because it, it's going to become revel, relevant in a little bit. And I'm, I apologize that I'm going back and talking about it now. Uh, it's just something that I think maybe we should go into a little more depth at this point. 
So when they go back in time, they're basically using him like Scooby-Doo, to be honest with you. They they know that he's got powers. They know that he's got a way to do things. So they decide that they need to have his help to find a missing girl. And instead of him being the help, that's when he gives them all the power. Just like the Dreamcatcher, the four of them stand on the outside and he is on the inside and they all put their hands on him. And before, he would just let them, I guess see where maybe they went or maybe what they were looking for and just lend him the power but then he actually gave them some of his power so that's when pete got the ability to twirl his finger and then he sends out like a little looking glass type of tube thing that he's able to go and follow to whatever he wants to find and then you got um the rest of them that just get psychic powers like it really only seems that uh until telekinetic maybe that's kind of the better word uh or maybe not even that i i don't know maybe it is psychic powers because telekinesis is more about moving stuff with your mind right rather than just reading into people's minds so they can do that amongst themselves they can all talk to each other within their minds that's how they found out at such a young age uh and but they can also the other three can read other people's minds but pete's the only one that seems to be able to do the searchy thing So when he uses it, he's able to actually find the girl that they're looking for and they're able to save him. And that's one of their greatest days. And so now, but he said a couple things at that time when they said that they need to find the girl, uh, he said, Mr. Gray. And they didn't realize that that's what he was talking about. And then he, they said, save the girl. And he thought they said, save the world. And he said, no, 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 we got to save the girl. We'll do that later. So, and that comes back at here. So you're kind of piecing things together that maybe this was all set in motion at that time when he first met them. And maybe truly that he was the one that brought them to him for a reason. So back into the story, we see that uh, Morgan Freeman has put a tracking device into the gun. And he's using that one dude from Jurassic Park. That Asian guy, you know the one that I'm talking about. The one that uh, ended up being in Jurassic World and was still fucking asshole. So, he's using him basically to track down Owen and Henry. And while he's trying to search for him, he's interrupted by the general, the, you know, three-star General Matheson, as they keep referring to him in this fucking movie. And he kind of reveals uh, that he knows that he's kind of fucking crazy. It's very nice, eh? Been home through some rough times. Was there something we hadn't covered? I don't think I got to say before how much I respect the work you've done. It was with sincere... Herman. May I call you Herman? We may not agree on all of the strategic initiatives, but we do agree on this. I'm past it. Burned out. Just needed to push, that's all. Should have quit after that mess in Montana. (laughs) Even I don't trust my judgment anymore. And of course, from here, he leads them out and he figures out where they're going. Now, Duds knows exactly where they're going. And he knows that they're going to a reservoir because what he wants to do, what Mr. Gray wants to do, is take that shit weasel and dump it into the water. And if he does that, that'll allow them to multiply and spread anywhere throughout the world. Which is weird because wouldn't you just be able to like lock down the reservoir close things off and then it dies in the water or does it like multiply extremely fast and is able to just 
fucking spread it faster than they can stop it. So how about we check in on the dudsness and see exactly where Jonesy and Mr. Gray are now. He's in the police car now. He's in a police car now. Can you see where they are, Dudz? He's in Mr. Gay. Mr. Mr. Gray. That's right, Dudz. He is in Mr. Gray. Mr. Gay is Mr. Gray. We gotta save this girl. In this world? Not the world, Dudz. A girl. Save the world some other time. Mr. Gay? over at this point and we see mr gray and he pulls the cop car that he's stolen uh with the dog that's germinating in the back and he pulls off into a snowbank and he realizes that the person that they all know is the only one that can stop him i knew it i knew it he's been here all along waiting jonesy it appears we didn't meet by accident we owe it to our friend. Dadet. I don't know what you mean. No? Maybe not. Maybe your clever friend didn't want you to know what he was up to. That's why you had nothing in the warehouse about me. Dadet didn't bother to tell you what job he had in mind for you. It doesn't matter. His little scheme didn't work, did it, Ike? No, no. We're almost there. What was it your poetry file had to say? I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. So he drives off and drives as fast as he can to the reservoir. Meanwhile, we see Morgan Freeman and he's now commandeering an attack helicopter and he's going after Owen and Henry as well. Unbeknownst to him, he's going after Mr. Gray. Mr. Gray shows up over there at the reservoir and Jonesy convinces him to just punch it, to which he does, and he crashes the car. And he's actually got to walk the dog from wherever he crashed the car over to the the pump station. <clears throat> when he gets in there, and I have to mention at this point, the dog looks pretty real, to be honest. The way that it's doing and the practical effects that they do for showing the stomach like kind of gurgle with the shit weasel looks pretty good it doesn't if it's cg it fooled me but it looks like it's a practical effect even when he he's like carrying the dog you see a lot of those things where they use like the fake animals as dead animals or hurt animals and they don't look very good they look very plasticky kind of fake kind of floppy here it actually looks pretty good and he's able to drag the dog uh inside there but he does have problems getting the manhole open where he's going to dump the shit weasel once it comes out. Uh, meanwhile, Owen, Duddits, and Henry, they all show up there at the uh, reservoir as well. And Owen says, okay, you guys have to stay here because I'm going to go and I'm going to take care of this Mr. Gray guy. And if I have to kill him, I'm going to kill him. And of course, as he starts approaching the reservoir, we get Morgan Freeman, Colonel Abram here, He's flying in with his helicopter, and there's a shootout between the helicopter and Owens on the ground. And they both kill each other. Yeah, I mean, it's very anticlimactic. I mean, you just basically get, like, close-up shots, 
and I didn't even see Owen get hit, but it's obvious that he probably does because he, instead of dodging the fucking bullets, they're all coming towards him. Uh, instead of me jumping out of the way and maybe shooting at him after, I'm just going to stand and get shot so that I can have a better shot back. Like, honestly, I've played enough of fucking video games, and you should too, to know you just don't stand in the line of fire of any fucking thing. Just jump off to the side and take your shots later, or take a couple shots, get out of the fucking way. You can do that, you don't need to fucking die. But, poor Owen, he gets killed, uh, Colonel Abram blows up, and... The, yeah, so that now relies upon Henry to go and stop the shit weasel from being put into the water slup high. And honestly, again, he is not that big of a hurry to go stop him because he doesn't, like, run in there. He doesn't run up to the building and then slowly sneak in. No, he just kind of jaunts over there telling, hey, Duddit, stay back here. I'm going to take care of this. So he goes inside right when Mr. Gray is able to open up the, uh, the, uh, the sewer hole, the hatch. And he's able to kill the shit weasel before it even gets to the hole, thinking that he's able to save the day. What he doesn't realize is that from the dog, somehow, uh, around the dog or with the carcass, I don't quite remember. But what is important is that there is a shit weasel egg that's there. The, the little green balls that we saw earlier in the film. So somehow it was able to get pregnant and produce one of those super fucking quick. I don't know who it fucked because all it did was come out of it unless they're all asexual and they're just going to be popping out fucking baby shit weasels all over the fucking place. So it's slowly going out there and Mr. Gray is trying to distract poor Henry here and Henry wants proof that that actually is Jonesy and not Mr. Gray. Who the fuck are you? Don't you know me, H? I don't know. I think I'm gonna have to shoot you. Just to be sure. Well, maybe you're right, my friend. I don't know myself if Mr. Gray is gone. He could be hiding in here somewhere. Waiting for his chance. So he tries to convince him that, hey, you've got to tell me something about you that I don't know already uh, or that you would only know. You know, one of those things. And he mentions the SSDD and Henry says that's too easy. So, of course, Mr. Gray, he goes and says, well, then you got to tell me something that only I would know. And so Henry asks him the question of what was outside of the the place they went to where they found Duddits. And as he's starting to say it, uh, he says, Henry or Mr. Gray says, no bounce. And then all of a sudden, uh, Duddits comes in through the door and says, no play. Hello, Mr. Gray. And then all of a sudden, from the middle of nowhere, Mr. Gray just starts coming out of fucking uh, Jonesy's body. And then we get this fucking lovely fucking gem of a saying from Duddits. We have some more to do now. That's right. Scooby-Dooby-Doo, we got some work to do now. Are you kidding me? Honestly, he went full fucking retard, okay? I, there's no other thing I can say than that. And, and you can get the reference that I'm getting that from. 
but honestly, the entire time, it's just like, you could have played it so much differently, and even here, you gotta have the stupid fucking lisp, and the way that you look, understand that you're going leukemia, and it's killing you, and, but it's just so terrible, so fucking terrible, and so they have a battle, we have a battle between Mr. Gray, now out as a giant fucking shit weasel, and then fucking Duditz turns into something. I don't even know what it is. He turns into some weird alien creature thing, and they start having a fight on the floor, and Duditz gets stabbed, and then Dad Duditz stabs him in the back, and then there's some weird cocoon thing, and meanwhile the alien is still slowly, the little shit weasel that's now hatched from the egg, is slowly trying to go to the water, and eventually they both disappear in a puff full of fucking red smoke. And that's the end of Duddits and Mr. Gray. And then we have the two of them, they're just looking on, and they're like, you know, Jonesy looks, looks looking over at Henry, and he goes, H. And then he fucking slams his foot down on the last shit weasel uh, in existence that we know of. And then Henry says, Jonesy. And that's the end of the movie. And then you get this fucking scene and then the... Well, actually, you get the scene during the final credits along with a little bit of music to play you out. John, if that's really is your name. This reminds me. all that long ass bullshit to build up to that type of fucking ending and to have something there that doesn't even need to be in there you know what else doesn't need to be in here and this is the one thing that i really want to talk about the whole fucking thing with morgan freeman in the fucking army that shit can be thrown out of the fucking door you can get rid of it i get it it leads up to a certain point in the fucking movie because owen is the one that allows him to go and get duddits and realize what's going on and he realized they're gonna kill a bunch of people but you know what you could take that whole thing out of it and just make it a horror movie about them going after fucking jonesy because jonesy gets possessed by the fucking alien you can still have it be the alien thing you just don't need the fucking army in this movie it's pointless morgan freeman at least from the credits the film gets billed number one and he's in it for three fucking scenes in total that's at least a half an hour of this movie that's gone. It's completely gone, and it makes the movie more concise, and you can even spend some more time maybe on the, another thing that them and Duddits did, or something else. You do not need those military scenes in this fucking movie. And you, you can tell me differently, but to me, with uh, this 2-hour and 13-minute runtime that this movie is... Why do I need that? Why do I need to have that where it's just not that important to the story? Other than that you know that these things have existed for a while and that's more. It could have just been, this is the last one. He has the ability, you know, to create more shit weasels and, uh, you know, 
he's on the run and he's trying to do what he's doing, which is infect more people to create more shit weasels taking over the world. There's not a whole lot else explained about the aliens. You can go back more than them. He can have a good backstory. He's the last one or he turned tainted or whatever it is. Why is he this way and none of the other ones, they all just wanted to leave peacefully there's no infection, and if he's the only one infecting people and being the bad guy, you know, okay, then say it. Don't just, maybe that's something in the book that's explained, but it's not really explained here in the movie. And then you have Duddits, okay, who acts like an a, a, idiot savant the entire fucking movie, and really, he's the savior of everybody, because he knows exactly what he needs, and he knows that two people he's going to send to his death, and he's going to mark them from a very fucking young age... And that there's two other people, one that's going to help save to bring him to the final battle, and one that needs to hold the body of it, so he's going to almost kill him too, but he manages to bring him back to life, because that's really what that scene in the ambulance is, right? He dies twice, they bring him back, he's dead, they bring him back, he dies, and they bring him back again, and now he dies again, but then he's brought back to life by Deditz and is able to heal relatively well within those six months. And it's never really explained that that's kind of there. It's kind of up to you as a viewer to realize what's kind of going on. And I'm not saying that you need to tell me everything that's going on, but tell me something. Give me some hinkling to what exactly is going on in this film. And you could do that with taking all of the parts with Owen and Colonel Abraham out of the fucking movie and you could build it better and maybe those are more better explained inside the book but you had to condense them for this film well then if you had to condense them just take them fucking out i just don't understand it's my biggest problems with the movie are the pacing of the film those things and then really like some of the special effects which surprisingly were done by industrial light and magic yeah, they did the CGI for this film, and maybe because this movie's from 2003 and, and it doesn't look that bad, but some of the effects just are terrible, and I I just don't get it. But uh, like I said, the bonuses for the movie really are the whole interaction between Jonesy and Mr. Gray, played by Damian Lewis. They do a pretty good job, and it's not terrible. It's not great, it's not terrible. You know, uh, everybody else just seems like a throwaway character. I really wish Jason Lee's Beaver could have had more to do than just be one of the fodders of the film. You know, same thing with Pete. He's basically there just to get beat up and die. Thomas James Henry, uh, he doesn't really have a whole lot to do either. And then to have the way that uh, Duddits was played both in his younger version and as his older version uh, by Donnie Wahlberg is just unacceptable. Come on, guys. You could do better. You could have had somebody better in this role. I'm not saying Donnie Wahlberg was bad, but they could have taken this role a little more, uh, I I don't know, maybe a little more like, I don't want to say soft or... Uh, you know, maybe a little more serious than what it was portrayed as. I just felt like there was a thought of this is what a handicapped, mentally handicapped person sounds like and talks like, who's dying of leukemia, and they just we just went overboard. I I just don't get it. But you know, to each their own. Uh, for this this film. Now, do I recommend it? Uh, it's a hard sell, honestly. Um, 
your mileage may vary with a film. You might like the way it does it. Uh, you might like some of the characters. You might like... I mean, if you look at Netflix, it has a four and a half star rating on Netflix. That means a lot of people that vote for those things like this movie. Do they like it because it's so bad it's good? Or do they like it because they actually like it? Or are they just being kind of ridiculous? Me, it's not really a so bad it's good. It's just a so bad it's bad. And it's just kind of boring. And it's a little difficult to get through. Uh, and really, the first act is relatively slow to how fast the third act ends up being. It's like the ending is really rushed. But we spent way too much time at the beginning of the film. Overall... Uh, I give the the gore in this film, it's 4 out of 5, because honestly, the gaping butts made me uh, pretty sick, and they did a good job on that. And then this is the second movie in a row that somebody loses fingers uh, in a Stephen King movie. So, uh, And the fact when, um, you know, the, the big guy bit into people, it didn't look too terrible. Uh, as well as some of the other gross factors, like the makeup on the house, and after Beef got eaten, and stuff like that. Uh, the crap factor, it's a 4 out of 5, mainly because of the way that Duddits is represented in this film, uh, as well as uh, the whole uh, overdone, over-the-top parts of uh, the military parts, uh, as well as trying to shove that dialogue that Jason Lee has down our fucking throats. Can't stand that shit. And the fun factor for me, it's a 2 out of 5. It's just... It's not that fun. It's disgusting. It's boring. It doesn't really get that uh, interesting to the latter part of the movie. And by then, it's basically done and you've got nowhere else to go. So, overall, I'm giving this 2 out of 5 shit weasels. I don't recommend it, but if you want to watch it, go for it. Uh, and if you have any other thoughts about this film that maybe something I missed, please let me know. Now, for next week, uh, we're going to get back into fun, bad Stephen King with the next following movie. Coming soon. Jolting Tales of Horror. Creep Show. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, and Cujo. And the creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. You'll scream at ghastly ghouls. Cringe at weird kids. And shiver at the doings of evil doctors. This is going to be extremely painful, Mr. Verrill. Creep show will grab you, grow on you, and give you the creeps. No, this is going to be an entirely new experience. Creep show, the most fun you'll ever have being scared. That's right, we're going to talk about the film Creepshow, where it was directed by George A. Romero, but written by Stephen King, and actually stars Stephen King in his own segment in the movie. That's right, this is his basically full length, full length, I should say, 
acting debut. Yes, he's done cameos and films unlike... Uh, there is no cameo from him in this one. But he had did in the 80s and some in the 90s cameos in most of the movies that he was a part of. But this is the first one, and this is from 1982, where he actually had a major part in the film. And by God, is it awful. But... It's a very fun film, so I'm sure that we're going to have a lot of fun with Creepshow. It's available to rent on iTunes, Amazon, and YouTube if you want for about like $2.99, $1.99, somewhere around there. And that way you can see it before you uh, listen to the podcast next episode. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, the, Which means you know what the movie is for the last episode, but I won't talk about my reasonings why until that episode comes out. The reason to put Dreamcatcher here is because it's a little difficult to get through, and then Creepshow is a nice, fun follow-up for that. And, of course, the last film of the month is going to be a fucking blast. So, I thank you guys for listening, as you do every week, uh, or every episode, I should say. Uh, you can always find the podcast on Twitter. It's T underscore T underscore podcast. Please uh, go and follow uh, at Horror Madame. Uh, that's H-O-R-R-O-R-M-A-D-A-M, who suggested Dreamcatcher for Stephen King Month uh, and uh, give her all the love and everything for making me watch this horrible film. Uh, and then uh, give me a follow as well if you haven't followed me already on Twitter. You can also send me an email, terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com, for any movie suggestions that you might have. Or you can always hit me up with a DM uh, either on Twitter or on the Facebook page. And that's facebook.com slash terribleterrorpodcast. And you can always check us out too on Instagram for some reason, Terrible Terror Podcast, where I like to put uh, pictures every now and then. And of course, new stuff with the episodes. Blah, 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 blah. But like and follow. And uh, if you do like the show and you enjoy listening to it and you're one of the many that have downloaded or listened to it directly from Spreaker, if you could do me a huge favor and please go and uh, subscribe and like on things like Stitcher or um, iTunes or google play all those things especially reviews reviews help me get seen by other people and i would like to hear your honest opinions i'm not asking you for a five-star review if you want to put a three-star review out there go ahead uh that's fine a one star well you know i wouldn't really like it but i'll take the criticism so next time we're going to go ahead and talk about creep show uh and i will see you guys later Bye bye